From the vibrant heart of the UAE to every corner of the world, welcome to season two of the International Classroom Podcast. Here, we not only explore education through a global lens, but also celebrate the unique needs, experiences, and perspectives each student brings. In each episode, we bring you insights and discussions from experts and educators around the world. They share their invaluable experiences, the challenges they faced, and the innovative solutions they've championed. So, whether you're an educator, a student, or simply someone with a passion for lifelong learning, we invite you to be part of this journey. Now, before we dive into today's episode, a quick note. Ensure you're following us on your favorite streaming platforms to always stay in the loop. And if you're tuning in via Deep Teaching on YouTube and you haven't clicked that subscribe button yet, do us a huge favor, do it now. We've been privileged to host some truly remarkable guests and your support in sharing and liking these episodes means the world to us. Onto the episode. Out of curiosity, and thank you for ever so much for joining me today on the International Classroom Podcast. Um, I'm curious, how has 2023 been for you? Oh my gosh, 2023 has been the culmination of 10 years of work, is how I put it. I've been doing design thinking for about 10 years, and I always say that design thinking was always this like luxury. If people had the time for it, they would engage in it, or there was just somebody who was really interested in it, they would come. But 2023 has been the year where, like I always say, come for AI, stay for design thinking. And that's how it summarized 2023. Perfect. So just give us a synopsis then. What is design thinking? Ooh, So design thinking, I feel like in its simplest form, oversimplification, is two things. It's a method, but it's also a mindset. And I think that's what makes it so unique. I think there's a lot of different, you know, problem solving frameworks and things like that that are out there. But I always tell people, like when you engage in design thinking, especially for the, you know, the first few times, when all of a sudden you say yes to something new, you don't even realize how your creative confidence has grown over time to try things you might not have tried before. I had somebody the other day, this was really beautiful. They were like, you know, I took an idea to my principal and the principal was like, well, you know, like we don't, we we can't really do this. Like, you know, talking about all the barriers and they're like, normally I would have shut down and I would have been like, okay, nobody cares. Go back to my classroom, do my thing. And he's like, you know what, this time I was like, let me try thinking about it from another lens. What are some of those barriers? Let me dig into that conversation with him, which brings me to the part of design thinking that I think is so special, and that's the empathy piece. And I always say, like, even if you just did the empathy part of design thinking, you'd be like 80% ahead of whatever it is that you were trying to accomplish compared to not using this method. So twofold, method and mindset. So what would you say, we're going to have people out there, and I pretend I'm one of them as well, that this is the first time I'm hearing about design thinking. What are the sort of foundational concepts to design thinking? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about most of the ways in which we tend to either design a strategy, come up with an idea, or really the way in which we do anything, and a lot of this is a byproduct of how we've gone to school in those traditional areas, we are kind of programmed to either come up with the perfect answer or to just come up with something as quickly as we can. So we always go to the solution really, really, really fast without really spending enough time in the problem space. Design thinking flips that script. Instead of spending um, 80% of your time on the solution and building everything out, you spend 80% of your time really trying to understand the problem and not just the problem, but people's needs. 
what are people's frustrations? So let's say, for example, we're looking at AI. Like, let's take the topic of AI. It's a perfect example. And so right now, what we're seeing sometimes is like, okay, what are the five apps I can just give people? Okay, how are we going to get this in the classrooms? How are we going to get this in the hands of students? Like, we're just so rushing, rushing, rushing to solutions without being like, wait a minute, what is AI going to help us with? What are people struggling with that we can help make better as a result of this technology? And so what it, it has you spending a lot more time in is talking to people, being able to be like, okay, so not even talking about AI. Like we're talking about what, what is learning like for you? What is teaching like for you? What are some of your challenges as a leader? What are some of the, the what, what is your vision that you have and what's holding you back from really accelerating down this path that you're trying to move your school or district towards? I'll give you another really good example. Just two days ago, there was an article about how uh, Cardona, who's like our like secretary department of ed, it's going to be really embarrassing now that this is being recorded, but he's basically high up there on like the education secretary. I don't pay much attention to these people because they're mostly talk and not enough thing. But anyways, he recently like shared how he wants more innovation and assessment and how it's not gonna come from the federal government. It's like he's kind of looking to the states. And I think that's another really big thing about design thinking. A lot of people don't have answers and they don't know how to get to those answers either. And it's a real opportunity within your community to be like, okay, what do we wanna see? What are we trying to build? What are we trying to do? Let's talk to people, find out what their frustrations are, but also what their hopes and dreams are and we use that information to really better understand the problem because what I kind of say is when you begin with empathy, a lot of what you think is challenged by what you learn. So I'm sure everyone's been in that scenario where in a meeting and everybody is like, oh, these people, like they don't like this, this, this. Everybody has assumptions they make about each other. And those assumptions actually are one of the biggest barriers to innovation because we're designing solutions without really understanding why people feel a certain way. That's fascinating. And I've got so, there's so many things to go and, and move forward with that. But actually, I want to move backwards. I'm curious how you got into it and sort of your journey that's brought you to where you are today. It was by complete accident. So the first time I did a, I I was a history teacher, but the first time I did a technology rollout, I was that person that started with all the applications. I had gone to a conference, I had iPads, and I was like, oh my God, these apps are amazing. Everybody else needs to know them too. And so every time we did a staff professional development, this is like over 10 years ago, when iPads first came out. People like we'd have like maybe 5% of people that were excited and the rest of them would be really upset, angry, frustrated, just not into it. And we would always write them off as they're the laggards, you know, that they'll catch up eventually like all those people. And fast forward three years, I was uh, recruited by a med school. Okay. So I'm a history teacher. I took geology as a science. I'm like as out of my comfort zone as I can possibly be, but I really liked the leader and the vision and the, the team they had. My sister actually was, a, was a, a student in their program. That's how I got connected. It's an amazing, it's the University of Southern California. It's an amazing school. So I go there and I have no choice but to kind of just watch and observe. And so in watching and observing, I just naturally was asking more questions because I didn't know anything. It's that beginner's mindset. And that's one of the hardest things when you are really established in your area is to actually have a beginner's mindset to even think to ask those questions. But because I was there by no other choice, 
I was like, oh, like what's, oh, and and then people would tell me things that were bothering them or things that they wanted to do. And I was like, oh, you know, you could do this, this way and this way and this way. And so a couple, it just so happened one month later, I was at a conference and there were two first grade teachers and they were talking about this method called design thinking. And I was like, oh my God, I, I could use that. So it was like really ironic that this whole thing actually came from like a teacher learning from another teacher. And so, um, yeah, it was the parallels of those two things that then I was like, okay, let's dig it deeper into this design thinking. And whereas before I was like more haphazardly kind of just asking questions and doing it like that. Once I learned about design thinking, the structure it provides is so, it it gives you so much confidence in being able to go into more ambiguous spaces because you have these like scaffolds that you can like hold on to and move you through the process. I'm glad that you've mentioned scaffold because it leads us nicely into the framework that you yourself uh, sort of use and advocate for. Um, And I'm just, can you tell us more about that? I'm not going to, without giving anything away, I'm going to let you introduce, introduce the framework that you use. Are you talking about Spark? I am. Yes. I'm glad that made sense. (laughs) I just want to make sure. So Spark is actually based on that same premise. Everything. So I have this thing, right? That like innovation begins with empathy. So Spark is literally a continuation of that. And Spark basically is a way of being able to, I call it prompt the human before you prompt the machine. Because one of the biggest things that I was finding was people were just taking, and I think we still see this, but people take a lot of existing practices and just plug them into AI and have it do it better, faster, all the different things. But when you step back and you ask people, well, why do you even want to do that to begin with? I found that a lot of people didn't even have answers for why they were doing what they were doing. So Spark really encourages you to take a step back. It's basically an empathy approach to prompting where it asks you, like, what is the situation you're currently in? Like, kind of like how you would sit at a coffee shop. You know, if I'm like, hey, like, you know, Alex, how's AI going in Dubai? And you'd be like, well, you know, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, but, right? There's always the but, but we have this happening. But, I mean, imagine if, like, our goal, though, is to be able to do these different things, like, that's our aspiration, And then we talk about results. If we were able to do this, our students would be able to do this. Our teachers would feel this way. Our school would have these outcomes. And then the last part of it is Kismet, which is where we ask ChatGPT for, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Here's my situation, my problem, my aspiration, my results. What are some ideas and what am I missing? And I I find the prompts that come as a result of that are so much more personalized, are so much more solution-oriented towards the right problem. It's a really good quote I like. It's uh, from Don Norman. He says, a brilliant solution to the wrong problem is worse than no solution at all. So solve the right problem. So that's what Spark really aims to do. We don't just want you to go and you know find five different ways to do an English essay. We want you to really reflect on like what are you really trying to accomplish What's a barrier that makes you feel like you can't accomplish this? And that to me is where AI is the most helpful because it can just think in ways that we cannot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously with ChatGBT where we're recording this, her birthday was yesterday, so it's one year old. And that's why I was curious when I asked you at the start in terms of how has 2023 been for you? Um, because obviously the integration, you've obviously been doing this design thinking for a long, long time. And I'm curious then to know, obviously with AI that's now been around and you are someone who advocates and now actually uses and embeds it with that, how have you seen that change the way design thinking can be implemented? Speed. 
So what used to happen with design thinking, so if you think about design thinking in its most traditional sense, there's sort of like the five stages. You start with the empathy, which is like interviewing people. Like, you know, if let's pretend like you were looking for, you know, like we were talking about like integrating AI into your organization. We'd be like, okay, well, like how are people currently using it? Like, tell me what's going on. Tell me about a time where it worked really well. Like we would do this like empathy interview. And then from there, we'd be like, ah, okay, so this is kind of the problem we've identified. So it's like we're on this uphill trajectory, and then I would find that once we would get to like the ideation, let's come up with ideas for all the different ways we can solve this, and let's create a solution that we can implement. And with design thinking, you're supposed to implement things relatively quickly. The idea is we take small steps um, and test them quickly. But there was this like drop-off point where people would do the interviews, it would be great, they'd identify the problem, and then just drop off. What I find with AI, not only can it support more with the analysis of the interview data, which also takes people time, it can support more with the analysis, it can support with problem formula formulation questions, like every design thinking challenge is framed using how might we. And that was another big obstacle for people, like creating these how might we statements, um, and then coming up with ideas and being able to come up with action plans. Workshops that used to take us six months now take us literally no more than one week. And so it's just absolutely incredible to see the speed at which it's working. And because we're not treating it like Google, I feel like we don't really run into a lot of the same challenges. Like we want you to be hallucinating all day long, come up with as many ideas as you can. We're constantly checking the validity. But because we've done a lot of that initial empathy interview gathering and whatnot, we've also been the ones, like the human prompted the conversation, not the AI. The AI is the support. It is helping us speed things along, giving, also helping that muscle memory. Because what I also find with AI, when using it in this context, which is pretty much the largest context that I use it in, is that while people can't initially come up with those ideas, the moment they see them on screen, they don't even want those, and all of a sudden there's a flood of ideas that have come to their head out of nowhere that two minutes ago were not even there. So just watching that creative capacity being built in people, watching them interrogate ideas that AI is generating is just, it's a really, really beautiful process, and it's getting us to our outcomes much, much faster. Yeah, I would agree with that in terms of, of the multiple conversations I've had around AI and in my own personal use of it as well. I think the speed at which it generates those ideas and provides feedback and allows you to then create something much faster and with probably greater breadth and depth than what you would do if you were just trying to work by yourself, that's, it's definitely expedited a lot more things, especially in my workflow. What have you found, though, that's probably some things that have surprised you about AI and the integration you've had with it? Oh, I feel like every single day is a new surprise. Every, like I, in my conversation with ChatGPT, I'm always like, I'm so glad I have you in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I will say, even for my own self, when I think about my business and I think about things I wanted to do, it has really helped me execute a lot faster without having to have hired a bigger team. But having said that, when I do hire people, I feel like I'm more confident because one of the biggest barriers to me hiring was I just didn't have the time to train people in a lot of my methods. And so one of the things that's been a game changer for me, this really, I would say GPTs have surprised me the most because it's literally like I can program, like we have a Spark GPT that works amazing, 
but I have a GPT for my podcast show notes. I have a GPT for the structure of my blog post. I have a GPT for my newsletter. Like I have a GPT for very, very, very specific tasks. And it's really nice now for me to give those to people that I hire to be like, okay, this is the initial run through you're going to do. And then you're going to do, you know, all the things that you need to, and I'm going to do the final check. But because it's like, I'm there in the beginning it's almost like I, the final the final check is so much better because you ran it through my pre-programmed instructions without me having to train you and you having to learn as well over and over and over. So that's been a really big surprise. The other really one that I really like is, you know, things like design thinking, I mean, random people online will make it controversial, but for the most part, design thinking is not controversial. Most pedagogical practices like backwards design are not really like controversial where there's so much fake news about them on the internet. So I find that when you align frameworks to AI, um, that is like, it knows everything about the iPad. It knows everything about Canva. And I used to work at Apple. And when I worked there in all of my time, one of the biggest barriers I saw was people would purchase iPads. They would love iPad but they had no idea how to shift their pedagogical practice. So most people treated an iPad like a Chromebook. And so what I really, really, this is like my next thing I'm getting ready to put out a course out on is AI in the iPad classroom, because it's going to be like having iPads all over again in your life, except this time you don't have to do so much of the, the work because it, you can tell it, hey, I have iPads. I want my kids to do this lesson. I only have this much time. This is the pedagogical practice I want to align to. Anything you want to do. And it can you can give more choice. Hey, I want some kids to use Keynote, some iMovie, some Pages, some this, some that. And the fact that it can just generate all of this for you is no human was able to do that. I mean, very few human, no human, that's not fair. Very few people were really able to make that pedagogical leap alongside the technology. Yeah, I've, um, I'm, still, I'm still lagging behind. I've yet to even dive into GPTs or even properly look at them. I know, I know, how bad's that? For someone who hugely advocates oh, and uses it. AI yep. all the time, it's... Um, I just, and yeah, it's, it's weird because what you've said there about a GPT for blog posting and doing those things is exactly how I would utilize as well. Because I find myself, I call them like data packs. Like I've stored word documents that I will upload and get it to work from. And it's like, I should just have a GPT for this. I should just be, you know, to some extent, and this is where it comes down to about automation, isn't it? In terms of how yeah. much of, of my life and my work do I want automated versus how much do I and should I be doing myself and, and getting the benefit from that myself um, and that's always kind of the sticking point in terms of like you said the spark the human integration part that becomes key versus what do I just want to push off onto AI to do for me um, but yeah I, I definitely definitely need to get myself uh, involved in some of that um, but it was interesting what you say about the, the pedagogical side I've, I find that true I in terms of a lot of teachers will ask it just plan me a lesson just just plan me a lesson um or rather than go right i love visible thinking routines so oh, like yeah, harvard project harvard project zero knows all about them and so you can start to combine those things and get the output is really really good and i think you're right there is there's a there's a step missing between you know pedagogy and ai or as i don't know if you come across is it fiona aubrey smith's work and like from ed tech to ped tech 
So it's really interesting approach of actually trying to bring education and pedagogy together. So very much like TPAC model. I th- it's a very loose term, but actually that that integration into it. That's so I'm going to put cool. you on. I'm going, to, I'm going to put you on the spot with this one. Then I'm going to give you a scenario. I want to see how you would do this. So thinking That's aloud good. for us. So okay, fantastic. So I'm going to. I said if you have to design a school for aliens, design a school for aliens. What would it look like, and what would you teach them? Oh my gosh, we would have to know what the aliens were all about. Um, I would say, well, would they be with with humans as well, or would it be only for them? So see, you're already starting to ask the questions, aren't you? So let's say, let's say it's an integration. Let's say different scenario, right? If it's only them versus like I'm putting them with my like little kindergartners. Uh, let's say it's an integration. Let's say let's say it's an aliens and human integration school. Wow. Well, in true design thinking fashion, like honestly, one of the biggest things we would do is we would first want to like gather those different groups together in like different like little focus groups, and we would want to learn more about them. Like we would also want to learn like say whatever this community is that they were a part of. We would want to learn like okay, what are the goals of this community? What are they trying to achieve? with these aliens and these people together, why are the aliens even here? Like what's going on? Let's like learn about everybody. What are everybody's different strengths? How can we leverage those? And what do we create together? I think, you know, one of, and this is actually a really good example because usually in that type of scenario, somebody would just give you an answer. They would like, you know, people were very prone to like on the spot, somebody just asking that question, I need to come up with the best answer now. And that's like one of the biggest things that design thinking tries to take you away from that. Like, we don't need to know the answer. Like, and that's perfectly fine. We don't need a solution. We don't need an answer. We're going to like figure this out as we go by engaging with people, seeing what things surface, and then using that data to really quickly turn ideas into impact that we can test. So we would, we would do a lot of chatting with these aliens. Like, where did you come from? Tell us all about you. Like, what can we get you to do? How are you going to help us? Like, you know, just really learning more about that and then how people feel even about that integration. Like, I mean, it's actually really no different when you think about, you know, I I lived in Dubai for two years and you think about the different cultures and the different people and everyone that's there and even just giving people the time and space to get to know each other is something that like California also is a really diverse state, but I can't really say that like, you know, at the beginning of the year, it's like, oh, like, let's learn about each other's cultures or like, let's learn about who each other are. But all of a sudden, if you had an alien and a human together, it would probably be the first thing you would like kind of aim to do. But we don't do that with people. And I'll actually say, sorry, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but I I actually do think that AI has really brought to the forefront where we fall short as humans. Um, and I always say that, like, I feel like that's why AI seems so scary because like our own bar for being human is so low. But when you think about human interactions and human engagement, even like on a worldwide level, like how we think about people, how we treat people, things that are okay for some people in some areas and in other areas, it's like, you're like not even a person you have are treated completely differently. There, there's so many different layers to unpack that, I I hope AI really prompts people because, you know, to your point, like this human and machine, it's almost like humans now have a third entity. You know, it's like when they say like, you know, you're stronger together, but humans haven't really had to deal with another outside entity like an alien, so to speak, which when you then are divided, that person, that third outsider or that second outsider now has an opportunity to get into the, into the cracks 
And that's a problem I see with AI, even though AI isn't not because I think it's some sentient human being, but I think anytime people are divided, you've already opened the door to a weakness versus being stronger together. So that, that's something that I don't know, I think about often. Yeah, it's you've opened the door and I really for the, the the one thing that we kind of always converse with when I'm interviewing people regarding this is about equity and sort of equality. What's your stance then on sort of the ethical and social implications of using technology? And where do you see in terms of making it accessible for all? Or do you think that's going to be impossible? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to figure it out. This is another thing I tell people, like, you know, you can't, we, we so often wait for other people to come up with answers. I highly doubt there's going to be some government order that comes down that gives everybody, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Like if you look at the last couple of inflection points, say like the internet, we, the internet is not even the norm everywhere, right? Like when, when the pandemic happened in the United States, I think one of the most eye opening things for people was how many people didn't have access to the internet. And then you think about the iPhone and you think about mobility, And now you've got AI. And what I see, a lot of people skip mobility. And so when it comes to equity and equality and all these different things, I think a lot about income inequality because you can have all the technology in the world. And I think we already see this, but if you don't know how to leverage that for not only academics, but also your professional life to open up the door to different income streams. Like basically, if you don't know how to monetize on these things and you've never learned that, you could have it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to benefit from it. And I find that the people who really understand mobility really get AI because it's giving you more freedom. It's giving you more opportunity, more things to be able to capitalize on. Whereas I think if you're a person who went from the internet and like being at a desk and like that kind of environment, even if you've got the latest and greatest computer, I think AI really is, it's too, it's a really big mindset shift for you to have to make to leverage, to get the actual opportunity. And I think it also really depends on the country that you live in. So in a country like the United States, where your job is tied to your health care, your like, you know, benefit, like just it's tied to everything. It's going to be, I think, a much harder struggle for people. Like it's the one thing I try to tell people, like we talk a lot about like job or no job. And I don't think that's going to be the problem. I think your problem is going to be, I'm paying you for 40% of your job. Now you only have 40% of your benefits. You only have this much of everything and now you're stuck. And so, whereas in a country like Dubai, at least you've got like government healthcare in a country like, you know, I was born in London, like people don't like you lose your job, like Sweden or whatever. Like, you know, there's just so many places where that's not the case. So I think it's going to be very different for people based on the values of their country. It's interesting you say that. I read something the other day and you you mentioned like the AI, either, you know, people are worried that AI is going to take their jobs. And this report suggested that AI is not going to take your jobs. It's going to reduce your salary because people are going to say, look, you're utilizing AI or you've got this technology now. You know, your salaries that weren't so high because it required, you know, just pure human. It's like, we still need you, but there's a technology and therefore 
we're starting to bring the salary down to it and and that's that kind of like is the scary part to it um but it's interesting i say dubai and 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 comparison to other areas in the world and and obviously you're you're fairly well traveled you name name dropping countries and town and cities left right and center there throughout um so how does it compare let's say you're obviously now in california um i'm based in dubai what what do you think the comparison is like then in terms of this this accessibility and how it's being utilized I think it really depends on leadership. Now, that doesn't always mean that it translates into practice, right? Like, it's really easy sometimes to see things from the outside and be like, oh, wow, look how, like, forward-thinking and futuristic, like, this place is. But I think when you at least have leadership, like, for example, if you were to compare Biden to, like, Sheikh Mohammed, like, like whoever's leading, like, you know, like, the Dubai, like, things, like, at least in Dubai, your leaders can talk about this topic, right? At least they can articulate what it is. They can articulate a vision for what it is. I feel like here people can barely wrap their heads around what's happening and forget AI. People were not able to wrap their heads around social media, still do not have their heads wrapped around social media. And so there's all these like big shifts that have happened where like, I don't feel like really like the government here really understands enough to be able to actually take action. Whereas at least on the outside, it looks like a country of Dubai is like, you know, like we, we want to be at the forefront of this. Now, does that translate into practice where every single school is going to be like, oh yeah, like we're so supported. Maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know. But the fact that your leaders can articulate means that as a community, at least there's awareness being built. Um, so I think it's just going to look different. But again, there's there's pros and cons to like all different scenarios. I don't want to say that like one is better than the other. But I do think I do think it's really important for leadership teams to just be aware because when you're aware, you can give people reassurance, you can articulate things, and you also can create policies and alignment. You can be thinking about things that may not be on people's radar, but you as the leader have on your radar, so you're able to go about thinking through those things for people. Yeah, I'm going to keep my, my teacher's hat on for this one. Um, because obviously from a Dubai perspective, we have our KHDA, which comes into the Dubai School Inspection Bureau. And one of the things on that framework is innovation. And obviously, the more people I speak to regarding AI, they kind of go, look, AI now is a word people people don't like it. It's almost like a dirty word. So we're just going to call it digital. And we're going to call it digital and it's going to be comprised into innovation. And so with our kind of guidelines, you know, innovation here is, is a huge thing. And so we're getting to a point now where it's looking for and, and wanting that type of how are we using digital to innovate and create opportunities for students. I mean, I mean, I put something out on LinkedIn the other day that to do with, let's say, Amazon and Facebook and the, and the people they are hiring or what they are looking for for skill credentials. It's not, you know, A-levels in this or degrees in this. It's we want people who have AI skill sets. And so we're kind of having this conversation at the moment is how do we integrate AI skills? How do we integrate these apps or these different things into our lessons, into our curriculum so that students have the opportunity? And I think that's that's coming out as one of the key things is about opportunity. Yet I was contacted by a colleague, a friend of mine just yesterday. It's like, can you can you help? Um, I'm at XYZ school, a different school to me. She's like, our colleagues, our teachers here, all against it. Kids want to use it, but they get penalized if they do. And so even here, there's still that divide between 
you know, the teaching body potentially and the school leaders and even, let's say, the, the, the government entities or as a country about, you know, actually having use of it. And I think a lot of that comes down to proper training. Um, and that's something obviously you're working quite hard with as well at the moment, aren't you, in terms of AI and, and these different courses that you're running. How have you found the uptake of that from, let's say, teachers from your side? Yeah. So I'll start by saying this because this is the one thing that I, I refer to, like I feel like everyone should read. Microsoft did a really good report um, on, they, I think it's called AI and Work. And it, it's relatively new. But one of the things that they point out in there is the inefficiencies that exist with how we collaborate and how we work. And so this kind of brings us, like, I feel like for me, like everything in my life comes back to design thinking, so I'll always bring it back to that. But one of the, the biggest challenges, like even when we have these kinds of scenarios, the assumptions that we make about people without really recognizing why they feel that way will always prevent you from ever being able to take any step that is actually sustainable that you can scale. And so we have to realize that like, Collaboration, for the most part, is really broken. Communication is really broken. And in the Microsoft report, they share how like 68% of people don't even have any uninterrupted focus time to even think about these things. Like I always say the biggest irony of 2023 when we look back is going to be we didn't have the time to look at how to save time to create more time for things that matter most. That, that is the biggest irony of what I see when I work with leadership teams or I work with any business or anyone right now. And so the hardest part of this is actually not trying to teach people AI. The hardest part is actually trying to teach people what it means to be human and what you're actually trying to do. So take, for example, this resistant teacher. We see them all the time and they're like, oh no, AI is going to ruin everything. It's going to kill these skills, da, da, da. Okay, well, like, what are you afraid AI is going to take away? My kids won't talk deeply about issues anymore. They're not going to be critical thinkers. Okay, so critical thinking is really important to you. And being able to have good, deep, meaningful discussions and dialogue in your class is important to you. Let, let's plug that into AI. Hey, AI, like, and we do, this is what I do live with people. Like, before we even touch the AI, we want to hear from you about how you're feeling and what you're thinking. And then what we'll do is be like, okay, let, let's give this a spin and you tell me what you think. So we'll be like, okay, like, hey, AI, like, I'm an English teacher and like, this is really awful and I hate this and da 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 da. We'll put in all your feelings. And it's just really important to me that my kids know how to think critically and do these issues. Here's what I've got going on next week. Give me three ideas because I'm just really scared my kids are gonna be dumb. And all of a sudden, it will show them like these different options. And it's like, you kind of watch their like faces light up, but like with hesitation because they're intrigued by the ideas, but it sparks that conversation for people that what you want isn't in conflict with what's here. You can actually get more of what you want by being able to leverage this. The other layer of that though, you can do that with a teacher all day long. If your leadership team isn't communicating, and that's why I go back to the importance of reassurance, and I always tell people, I think Satya Nadella at Microsoft is, 
is just like the epitome of being able to do this. I tell so many people I work with, just study him. Listen to how he uses words. Listen to how in every single thing he does, he's only trying to reassure you. That's it. No matter what product he's introducing, no matter what he's doing, he's always trying to reassure you. So these two things have to all be aligned together. It's not enough to just go train people and give them these applications and tell them to go do this. They also need time to think, and your communication has to be there to motivate them, to support them, to constantly reignite that um, that passion, that, that reminder of why we do what we do. And so that that's kind of what I see when I see those scenarios. There's a lot of layers we have to peel back and recognize and acknowledge before we can get to what we want to do. And so I, I like one of my personal recommendations to most people is to like, not even try to figure out the student situation right now is to just really get your adults on board thinking about what they really want to create. Because if your students had no AI in 2023 or even 2024, but you were able to give them all the problem solving skills and you were able to really like think more critically about the environments you're creating, it's that go slow to go fast. I guarantee you those kids would be way better off than the kids who just use ChatGPT to be like, did that write the essay better or did I write the essay better? Like these are such weird, like I get the entry point argument, but these are not great use cases when we think about future skills. So I always say like Steve Jobs didn't grow up with an iPad. Like Elon Musk didn't grow up driving a Tesla. We don't grow up with the innovations and technologies that we create and we become a part of. We have skills. We have above all the ability to identify needs and those become opportunities and how you communicate that to get people on board. These are all very human skills that allow you to leverage whatever technology is in front of you. That's amazing. It's a, yeah, I completely agree with that in terms of skill sets. Um, and all, all these conversations we keep having around it in terms of working synergistically, but it's like the, the simple thing is garbage in, garbage out. Uh, you know, even with students who are compu- completely computer literate, you know, and adults who are con- computer literate, you know, actually the critical thinking component, the problem solving, the collaboration, communication, all these different things are very much human skills. And we should still be focusing on developing those um, because at some point in time, and this happened to me just the other day, we're in school and the Internet went down. And we're just like, what do we do? And there was panic, mass panic, mass panic ensued. Like, and it's those things. At some point, you've got to be able to go. And I think this was always the the the, the hallmark of the teacher. It's like, and this is what my my teacher who trained me said. It's like, look, it's going to take you three years or so to get up to a point where you might know the curriculum, and it's going to take you five years to get up to a point where you can answer most students' questions. He said, at what point in your professional career and development do you get to a point where if someone said to you, right, there's no device, there's a pen and there's a whiteboard that you can use and recall and fall back on the skills to still teach that lesson. He said, that's that's the point you want to be at. So talking about things like that, talking about tips, talking about advice, what would be your tips and advice for people listening and watching who want to know more about design thinking? Where would you recommend? What would you recommend for them to be doing? Oh, wow. So I would say make two lists. Make a list of all the things that you just absolutely hate, things that are bothering you. And you know what else? Like it's, it's, you can't just do it in like 
one setting. You almost have to have like a little note on your phone. You need to have a little pen and paper, and you kind of need to do this over the course of the week because there are so many moments where you're like, oh, I can't believe I have to do this, like da, da, da. But one of the things I've observed this past year is we're so used to the grind we don't even recognize what we like and don't like anymore because we're just programmed to do things even if we don't believe in them, we don't want to do them, and we don't like them. So I think the one thing I recommend to people is just get a pen and paper and just really evaluate how you're spending your time. And when that time, what are you doing that you like and that's making you happy? And what are you doing that is just driving you crazy and is frustrating you? Generate those lists. Those lists are the catalyst to the change that you want to see tomorrow. Because if I have a list where I'm just like, I cannot believe I spent four hours of my evening grading these papers. My kids wanted to go to this game. They wanted to go watch this movie and I wasn't able to go take them because I had to sit here and do these things where we've normalized that, you know? And so when you begin being more aware, like, oh my God, I can't believe I had to do this for four hours. It was so draining. My poor kids wanted to do this. Or maybe you're just like, oh, I didn't get to go to the gym this week. Like, oh, I had so much work to do. All those emails that I had to answer. I couldn't get to the gym this week. Whatever those things are for you that come up, write them down. And that becomes the beginnings of the prompts that you're going to go in and tell AI. Like, hey, like, what can you do to help me? I need to get back these four hours because my kids should... I should be able to take them whenever I want to do whatever they want. I should be able to have three hours to go to the gym if I want to have three hours to go to the gym. So that's one of the first places I recommend starting. Another place is, I mean, it's always going to be the empathy piece. Like also think about all the things that you wish you could do. Like the times when you have an idea, like, you know, you're sitting here right now, like, oh, I wish I had more time for GPTs, right? Like, oh yeah, I want to go try this. Like for me, like, oh, I'm dying to get into Copilot right now, Microsoft. I just haven't had a chance. So these become catalysts for thinking about how to use things. Or if you're in a scenario, like for example, you're a teacher with your students, like ask, just have conversations with people. Like what, what are you doing with AI kids? Like, you know, like what do you, what, how do you feel about AI? Do you like it? Tell me something cool you saw. What scares you? If you're an administrator, do the same with your teachers. What are you hearing about AI? Have any of you tried it? Have any of you done this? So the more you start from those places, the rest of the design thinking process is like very, like it's what I love about design thinking is you can bring up and surface these really like big challenges, big hopes and dreams, and there's going to be support for you to walk you through that process. You don't need the solution. You don't need the answer at all. You just need to engage in the process and the outcomes are, they're magical. Like people's lives change, your creativity, your mindset changes. But you have to be willing to like ask those questions, do those things. It's not a simple like, okay, 30 minutes design thinking, off you go, you know, like, or here's an app, go do design thinking. It's the human work, which is, which is hard, um, but necessary with, you know, now this alien outsider AI that's like, join the mix. Yeah. In a good way. In a good way. In a um, great way. I mean, to, yeah. no earlier, we kind of already have schools with these two different groups. Yeah. Yes, we do. We do. It's crazy. It's obviously something you are tremendously passionate about and also very, very knowledgeable. Um, so I'm curious then, we st- I always start the question with how has 2023 been for you? And now I'm curious in terms of what does 2024 hold for you? Ooh. I don't know what it holds for me. I hope a lot of exciting things. Um, one of the things that I 
I'm going to commit to in 2024 is more examples. It's one of the biggest gaps that I see missing for a lot of people. I've been asking a lot of people lately. I'm actually really surprised. I think anyone who's a GPT-4 user is shocked when they hear that other people think $20 a month is too expensive. It's like, I'll literally tell people now, so you're telling me if I told you, you could hire somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and all they wanted was $20 a month you would tell them that's too expensive. Like when you start to reframe things, you realize like how crazy it sounds. But what I've come to realize from, you know, talking to people is most people don't even know how to use it. Like we've just thrown so many apps, different like prompt templates and like all these different, like use this prompt, use this prompt, use that prompt, do this, do that. Instead of giving people the time and space to think that one of my commitments for 2024 is really to build out more design thinking examples and use cases that people can really take back and kind of learn from, because I think we need to get better. I think the community as a whole, especially on LinkedIn, we're a very small minority compared to the world of AI. When I go anywhere outside of LinkedIn, it's like if my friends, a party, anything, nobody's done anything remotely close to what my LinkedIn friends have. And I think as a, as a community on LinkedIn, we have to get better about sharing our process, about sharing our examples and sharing things and, and giving people ways to be able to leverage them too. I think this is going to really, really, really help unlock the way people think about AI. Yeah, I agree, uh, especially about the LinkedIn component. Um, and a lot of people have said that, like you're in this professional learning network, but it's a very small bubble. Like, And even with my colleagues at school, I could say, uh, like, I'm, I'm going to interview this person today or, you know, and they'll be like, sorry, who's that? And yeah. he's like, what? How do, how do you? And I'm like, in my mind, my instant response would be, how do you not know who that is? And then what you realize, uh, what you realize is, is then actually... A lot, they're not maybe not interested in that maybe on their list of priorities LinkedIn is not necessarily one of them so the question you raised there is a really good one it's like you know how do we I'm going to I'm going to use the analogy how do you bring that horse to the water you know you know this actually really goes back to another thing because one of the other this is another like there's a lot of ironies that 2023 has revealed but one of the biggest ironies is that a lot of people who are in charge of like helping other people learn don't know how to learn and really struggle to learn. And I know that that's not, like I've also become, I will say 2023 is the year I became a lot more confident in saying things that may not sound very nice. Because as somebody who in 2007 graduated, like, so I graduated during that iPhone inflection point. And one of my biggest regrets, or no, one of my biggest like gripes is that nobody prepared me. Everybody, like this narrative we have that like, oh, as a teacher, you'll be fine. Like, oh, this everything's going to work out. You're the most human person ever. Like, this is nonsense. Like, I lived that era when we didn't even have AI. Like, just when we had budget cuts and we had more technology, how that led to um, so many people losing their jobs and just the disruption that caused with how they could hire and all these different pieces. And so... I think we have to be like, and I also saw during the pandemic, like a lot of people will always ask me, like, how did you make the shift? How did you do this? How did you do that? Well, I can tell you, I didn't do it by waiting for somebody else to pay for me to learn, you know? So really being able to just take initiative and ownership of your profession and your role is going to be so important because I think, you know, you would probably, like, we probably both feel the same way. I value that community more than anything else. Like I value my own ability to learn more than anything else because I want to be relevant. Like I don't want to get replaced by AI. You know, this is another really big misconception I think we have is there's a lot of people that that, that quote that went around a lot in the beginning. 
I'm actually finding to be very false. Like the AI will never replace you, but a person using AI will. I've actually fired two people for incorrect use of AI. Like it just, like I felt like their quality of work was here. They started using AI and their quality of work went down. And so I was like, I cannot like deal with this. Like, and I can spot AI work like that. But I think how people use this technology, it's not just about using it to keep your job. You're going to have to learn how to use it well to do things that previously were not possible, which is where your design thinking piece is going to really help you. But learning and figuring out also how you learn best and creating that workflow for yourself is something I think everyone should prioritize in this last month of 2023 going into 2024 because school doesn't really always give you that chance to be like, yeah, I actually just really love watching things. And then I like taking those videos that I watch and doing this and doing that and da 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 da. Like you need to figure out your own workflow. If it's LinkedIn, great. Then that's one piece of it. If it's podcasts, that's a piece of it, but you need to figure out a workflow. Yeah. And funnily enough, AI can help you with that. What's your favorite use case feed? What's your favorite like example or 2023 highlight feed? Uh, I mean, AI as a whole coming into it has been amazing. I look back and this is like, I started doing YouTube probably for the reasons like we talked about in terms of the pandemic when COVID hit, I wanted to develop my own professional development. And at the same time, I, I took something I was passionate about, which was videography that I wanted to get better at. And I kind of just amalgamated the two things together. It was a way of getting value for me and value for others. Because when you put podcasts, when you put anything together, what you're doing is you're having to research, you're having to then find information, details and bring this in. And that's kind of how it started. And so having those then opportunities that come forward with it, so like AI and, and how I, I've been able to, I can look back at the video I produced in January about feedback and marking using ChatGPT. And then I can get through to today and go, right, 12 months later, how has it changed? How have I changed using it? And the biggest shift for me is, is one, probably how much I do use it, yep, uh, for a lot of it. And it's allowed me to generate you know, concepts and, and lessons that I would never have normally have done. Um, and so I can put into ChatGPT, I want to do a real world problem scenario on genetics for my, what would be for you guys, it's like grade nine or year 10. And so it would generate this task and I can still use my knowledge and specialities to go, yeah, that's good. That's good. Tweak that, change this and, and ideate with it. But then it produces a, a task for my students and that's great. And the thing I'm saying to them at the moment is we're doing activities that show you the real world implications of science. Because so many times students come out and go, I'm never going to use this in the real world. You know, why do I need this? And yet, you know, working synergistically with AI, I can produce tasks that show them and give them opportunities to go, this is the type of thing where this is used in the real world, you know, and, and you're going off to see it. And it's a whole level of deeper application and understanding to it. So for me, that side of it's amazing. I've used it so much in my own professional development. I, because think about when where all the, the evidence and research informed practice comes from. It's still 10 years ago, five years ago. And, you know, the, the in, AI has scraped the internet of all that information. And if you kind of go, you know what, Mike, I need to know about cognitive science. You know, we mentioned this, didn't we? You just go, you know, from the AI's perspective, you go, I want to learn about cognitive science. Explain it to me, uh, you know, at, what is it, a nine-year-old level. 
and that's what they say the best thing to, you know in terms of research for marketing is to have it written as a nine-year-old i was like okay and then you can say right i'm interested in that component i might want to know more about dual coding okay tell me more about dual code and then all of a sudden you're upskilling yourself through your own curiosities so for me like I've learned lots more in implications and applications of things like Rosenshine's principles or of different pedagogical approaches or I can utilize visible thinking routines a lot quicker. So things I already knew about, but now I'm just leveraging the technology with those to speed up my workflow and also create concepts, ideas, challenges for students that would have taken me a lot longer or I would never have come up with myself. So for me, it's that it's my little teaching assistant. It's it's what I use to check through a lot of things. It's what I use to ideate with and and collaborate with. And even from a podcast perspective, it's things where I'll be like, "You are my researcher. You know, help me come up with and do these." And you know, it's it's ingrained into it. And and I I want to bring that into the classroom. I want my kids to be able to use that. So the the shift for me now moving forward is how do I integrate the applications for them into the lesson um like i've got examples of podcasts that my kids have made using ai it's been fantastic you know so i'm really i'm and you know probably like yourself i'm more probably a you know an optimist you know in terms of technology and a future very stuff. optimistic i was just thinking about that it was a very optimistic yeah. conversation people who are like the naysayers are gonna be like they don't talk about this this, this. <laughs> but i am and i still i still i'm still wary i'm still i still have that you know part of it but it, I would be doing a disservice to the students that I have in front of me if I weren't to do that. And I would be doing a disservice to my own interest and passion as an educator if I didn't utilize those things. Does it does it mean that I think that all teachers should be? No. Like, I want it to be a case of that, you know, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. It's and that for thing. me is is kind of how I, I got it. If I want to utilize it, it's great. I can do it. I know how to. But if I don't want to, and this is now where I'm, I'm concerned for teachers coming into the profession and, and people coming into a workplace, it's like, can you do this without AI? Or can you only do it because of AI? And if you can't, if you haven't got the latter skill set, you know what? You need to go and learn how to do something. Go and spend three years and don't touch this. And then once you understand it, then bring into it because you could go, and this is the thing I was listening to the other day, go mediocrity is rife. And that I like, I say this to kids, I say it in rugby, I say it in sports, it's like mediocrity and it's, everyone's happy with mediocrity and like, I'm not, but it, AI, AI can make someone who's mediocre appear to be exceptional. And the truth is, it's like, if you take the AI away from them, are you still exceptional? And the answer is no. And so for people coming into professions, especially in education, it's like, you know, what do you actually know about these concepts? What do you know about Vygotsky? What do you know about Rosenshine? You know, what do you know about cognitive science? And it's like, ah, oh, I can find out for you. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. Tell me what you, you know, and the best, best bit of training, like I did my MPQLTD. So that's the national, national professional qualification for leading teaching and, and uh, development. And it was interesting. Some of the information and research they said was, when you do a professional development, when you're starting with teachers in front of you, quiz them like you would a student, a class at the beginning of a topic. So this retrieval practice and actually put in front of them and go, right, I'm going to give you 10 multiple choice questions on the use of Neopod as an example and see how they do. 
and he said if, you know teachers learning andragogy as adult learning is not always too dissimilar from you know pedagogy of student learning but he said you know you have to put pressure on teachers to actually say well what can you recall about this you know and i said this to my colleagues and we did it and i said right here's 10 multiple choice questions on different pedagogical techniques yeah you don't want to know the results and yet i never thought about that that's a really 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 interesting because i feel like there would also be a subgroup of people that would be like well do they really need to know it if they can do it then like do they need to know it and i i you bring up a really good point that yeah like because tomorrow if you do i think it's also you can't interrogate the information in the way the same way you would when you kind of do have that deep understanding of the topic wow that's a i never thought about that because it also allows you to recognize is this a hallucination is it wrong you know do i need if you don't have if you don't have that background knowledge you just accept it as given and this is what we say to the students as well because they type this in and i had a really good conversation with a 15 16 year old yesterday in in biology class and uh, we were talking we're doing about homeostasis so about how the body regulates itself and i just said to them so um tell me um, how much water do you need to consume a day and they all went, oh, like two liters, so it's like eight glasses. And I was like, okay, um, find me the evidence for that. And they were like, what? I went, go and find me the evidence for that. And they went online and it's like, oh, so there's, there's no evidence to, I went, exactly. And they were like, uh, and I said, what does that mean? And, it's, and they were like, well, these things that our parents pass on or these, these kind of myths. And this is what it was. It's myths, things we hear and we never question. And it's trying to get them to think analytically about if you hear something if someone tells you something and just because enough people say it does not make it true is to question well where is this true where is the evidence and so one of the kids went so does that mean sir that stuff you say is also wrong and i was like potentially yes <laughs> potentially but at least you're now thinking and he's like yeah and it's the same with i love i love this one as well i could talk about it. it's like um what's the most important meal of the day and do you know what they all say what breakfast, breakfast? Oh my yeah. God, that's what I would have said too. Do you want to know? <laughs> and I, and, and, <laughs> but do, do you want to know why people say that? And this is from my understanding. This is a marketing from Kellogg's. Oh. Well, think about it. Oh, Kellogg's, breakfast cereal. <laughs> yeah. And yet, you know, everyone, I mean, someone's probably going to come on here and please do and correct me if I'm wrong or listen to this and put it in there. Um, but generally it's like, no, like I don't even eat breakfast. I'm I was not hungry. Yeah, I actually, I have a coffee in the morning, but I don't eat until a little bit later. But I always feel so guilty for missing the most important meal of the day. <laughs> and it, it's that. It's so, it's the same with the AI thing. It's like, you're going to type something in. It's going to say to you, the sky is red. And you're going to go, okay, that must be true. It's like, it's, no, it really is. So trying to teach those skills to students and even adults, like we're coming into it now, you need to have that, that, you know, content understanding and expertise prior to being able to use it so i think it's an interesting one because a lot of the conversations you know we ha keep having around this and what we say on linkedin some of it is to do with regulation yeah. in terms of do we need to regulate who has access and when they get access to it um it's an interesting one for the future isn't it um but i realize now time is time is ticking on and you are a busy busy person today um and i, I appreciate it. it's obviously eight o'clock nine o'clock in the evening with you now and nine o'clock in the morning with me um but Sabah, i really really appreciate you coming on to speak with us today it's Thank been it, it's been insightful and it's obviously design thinking and ai and something you're tremendously passionate about and putting out a, a tremendous amount of great quality and value of work out there 
if people want to come and find out more about you and, and more about what you're doing, where is the best place to find you? Um, I always say the website, designingschools.org. It's like choose your own adventure. If you like blog, YouTube, Instagram, I got it all. So designingschools.org is the, probably the best place to go. Fantastic. It's a one-stop shop to come and find you. Um, but yeah, again, I appreciate you coming on. Um, we didn't touch on it. We touched on this off camera, but how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling good. I'm surprisingly still really good. I don't think I look too swollen. I was telling you, Alex, I just had a root canal, but it's, it seems to be okay. Yeah. She chose to also stay on the podcast, by the way. I didn't force her. This was her choice. Um, <laughs> you know, it was absolutely fine. No, that being said, I do really, really appreciate you and powering through, as it were, um, yeah. for this hour. And it's just been really insightful and informative. So thank you ever so much. Um, I wish you a happy holidays and a wonderful new year and we look forward to seeing everything that you put out in 2024 thank you you as well